A few weeks ago, uh, we were cleaning out some of my father-in-law storage shed. Now, keep in mind, it's not an average storage shed. It was once used as a semi-truck trailer. So, there's a lot of stuff. <laughs> and as we were going through some of the stuff, Rachel was quick and kind enough to point out a snakeskin that they had seen a week or two before. And I looked at it, and it looked really brittle, and I felt okay with it. And then we kept cleaning, and a little while later I found another snakeskin, which looked a lot fresher. And had I seen the actual snake that that snakeskin once belonged to, I would have come out of my skin too, okay? Because... I do not like snakes, and I know there are good snakes, quote-unquote, who do good things, and some of you may feel very protective of said animals. Good for you. I am not one of you, okay? In my mind, the only good snake is one that I cannot see, and preferably one that is not alive, okay? So, like, that is just how I feel about snakes, but I tell you what, I can put up with the occasional snake skin any day in comparison to what was going on in Numbers chapter 21. In Numbers chapter 21, the Israelites had been complaining about the leadership of Moses. You know what God did? He sent snakes. Yep. He sent deadly snakes into the camp of the Israelites because of their complaining. And these deadly snakes are biting Israelites and they're dropping dead left and right. And then the very people who had been complaining about Moses then go to Moses to say, Moses, please pray to God on our behalf. And because Moses was a really good man, he did just that. And I want you to hear God's response to Moses. The Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Cool story, right? Right. Maybe you're sitting there right now and you're thinking, well, Blake, I thought we were in the Gospel of John. And we are. Matter of fact, we're going to be in John chapter 3 today. So if you want to turn your Bibles over to John chapter 3, that's where we're going to be this morning. And at this particular point in the ministry of Jesus, it's pretty fresh, right? I mean, like we looked at last week, he had turned water into wine at the wedding, which was the first of his signs. And this particular sign really brought about a, well, it solidified within his followers that he really is the Son of God. I mean, anybody who could do something that amazing must be the Son of God. He had really attracted a lot of attention from a lot of different people. And, and one of the people in particular that he attracted the attention of was a man named Nicodemus. And so Nicodemus then comes by night to have a conversation with Jesus. He just wants to get to know him a little bit better. And this is how this conversation begins in John chapter 3 and verse 2. The man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. That's a very honest way to begin this conversation. Teacher, we know. We know that you're from God because there's no way that anybody could be doing what you've been doing and not be from God. But then I want you to notice how the conversation will end right around verse 14 and 15. 
right around verse 14 and 15, Jesus takes Nicodemus back to Numbers 21. He takes him back to that event with Moses and the bronze serpent. Why? Because you see, those children of Israel who have been snake-bitten, those children of Israel were dying. Nicodemus, he was dying. And so were we. Did you know Did you know that with every breath you take, you are one step closer to death? Did you know that the day that you were born, well, you know what? You know, I'd go back a little further than that. I would say the moment you were conceived, (laughs) the moment you were conceived, there was this countdown that began leading to your death. You see, all of us are on the same path of life and it leads to death. And it really doesn't matter what your age is. It doesn't matter how young you may be, how strong you may feel, how healthy you may be. All of us are on this same path. And this path is leading us to the exact same place that all of us, at some point, we are going to die. And so with every breath we take, we are just one breath closer to death. As a matter of fact, bear with me just a moment. Would you take a deep breath with me? Just inhale and exhale, right? On the count of three, inhale. Take inhale. One, two, three. And now exhale. We're all one breath closer to death. Aren't you glad I didn't preach this last week for Mother's Day? Man, like how how morbid is this? (laughs) But it's our reality. And it's a reality that all of us have to be able and face and have to be able to understand. Because you see, physical death, that was not Nicodemus' biggest problem, and nor is it really ours. Nicodemus was dying spiritually. But Nicodemus was a man who had had a really hard time seeing that he was dying a spiritual death. Because you see, among the Jews, man, Nicodemus was a, he was a giant of a man. If you go back to the way that John introduces us to him in John chapter 3, verse 1, he says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. We know two things about this man right off the bat. He was a Pharisee. That means he is a part of a very exclusive group of Jewish religious men. I mean, these are the the elite of the Jewish men. And he's a ruler of the Jews. So not only is he a part of the Pharisees, he's also a ruler of the Jews, which would have also come with a very prestigious title. It would have come with a prestigious position for him. And if you go a little bit further in the conversation, you'll see that Jesus asked him a question. He said, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you don't understand these things. So even Jesus identifies him as a, a teacher of Israel. So here's a man who is a Pharisee. Here's a man who is a ruler of the Jews. Here is a man who is a teacher of Israel. No doubt this man, this man had a lot of accomplishments. No doubt this man was highly educated. No doubt this man knew and understood the law. He knew and understood the Old Testament. So he would have had a really hard time seeing that he was dying a spiritual death. And so were we. Why? Ugh. Because he had been snake-bitten. And so have we. You see, when you go back, the very first time we ever see 
evil <laughs> in Scripture. Evil is in the form of a serpent. All the way back in the Garden of Eden, when evil in the form of a serpent was able to convince Eve to go against the will of God. And when Eve went against the will of God, when she gave in to that temptation and she sinned, and when Adam followed suit, they had been snake-bitten. And for all of us since Adam and Eve, all of mankind who has ever committed this atrocity known as sin, meaning we've done something that goes against the will of God, Romans 3.23 tells us that all sin falls short of the glory of God. So that's pretty much all of us, okay? We've all been snake bit. I think we understand that, but I also think sometimes maybe we forget, we just forget how severe it is. Because you see, you're talking about not, not just like a garter snake out there somewhere, which again, those, those in itself give me the heebie-jeebies, alright? But I mean, we're talking about Satan. As our brother Barry Shirley used to say, the evil one. Okay? That is who we're talking about here. And Satan, when Satan tempts and, and we give in to that temptation and we sin, it doesn't matter what the sin is, is it? Because in the eyes of God, there is no big or little sin. And when we do sin, James tells us that sin breeds, it brings forth death. Because you see, that's the thing with sin. Sin doesn't just like sting you a little bit, and sting doesn't, sin doesn't just like make you a little bit sick. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wage of sin is death. So death is the end result of sin. Jesus knew because, well, He could see more than anyone else could see. He knew when He saw Nicodemus that Nicodemus was a dead man walking in the same way that all of us are. And Jesus wanted Nicodemus to know that in the same way, in the same way that, that God provided a cure with that, that snake on a pole all those many years before in Numbers 21, that God, that God would provide a cure. He would provide a cure for sin and death itself. Jesus would go on to say in this conversation with Nicodemus, beginning in verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Isn't that a beautiful thing? To know that those who believe may have eternal life. Those who will look upon Jesus. Jesus was lifted up. The Son of Man was lifted up. He was lifted up on the cross. And those who will look upon Jesus, those who will look to Him, can be saved from their sins. None of us are going to escape physical death unless, unless we're alive when the Lord returns. That's it. There's no way around that. It doesn't matter how healthy you are. It doesn't matter how, how many good medications you're on. It doesn't matter the supplements you take. At some point, you will reach the end. And that's true of all of us. No one is going to live forever. All of us will die. But death, death is merely a transition from here to life everlasting for those who have faith in Jesus, for those who have trusted and obeyed the will of Jesus, then death itself is nothing but a transition from here unto life everlasting. But for those who 
are outside of Christ, for those who fail to look upon Jesus, those who don't believe that He's the Son of God, there is a second death waiting. And that's something that we need to be very much aware of as well. You see, looking to Jesus, it's much more than just believing Him. The demons believed in Jesus. They knew He was real, right? But they didn't have faith. And that's really what it's all about. If you want to look upon Jesus, it's more than just simply believing that He is. Let, let's go back to this, uh, what precedes the conversation that took place between He and Nicodemus. Let's see what happened in John 2, beginning of verse 23. Now when He was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in His name when they saw the signs that He was doing. But Jesus, on His part, did not entrust Himself to them because He knew all people. What did you just see there? I just saw that there were a lot of people they believed in Jesus. But Jesus didn't allow Himself. He didn't entrust Himself to them. Why? Because Jesus knows the heart of man. He knows people. He knows what motivations we have. And He knows that for these individuals, their, their belief was shallow at best. Yeah, they believed in Him, but why do they believe in Him? Because of the signs He was doing. The miracles. Oh, yeah, Jesus. I believe in you because I think you could do all kinds of things for me. Jesus doesn't want to be reduced to our like proverbial genie in a bottle. He wants us to have faith. And if we have faith, true, genuine faith in Him, He will save us and He will transform us. But it is essential that our superficial, shallow belief grows become genuine faith listen how this conversation would continue in john chapter 3 beginning in verse 3 jesus answered him truly truly i say to you unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of god nicodemus said to him how can a man be born when he's old can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born jesus answered truly truly i say to you Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. I can't help but wonder if a Pharisee like Nicodemus, a, a leader of the Jews like Nicodemus, a teacher of the Israelites like Nicodemus, I can't help but wonder if maybe his mind might not have gone back to the Old Testament prophecy of Ezekiel. There in Ezekiel chapter 36, when it says of God, beginning in verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You see, this is what God wants for us. If we come to Him in genuine faith, not superficial, shallow belief, if we come to Him in genuine faith, He wants to make us new. He, he wants to, to cleanse us with, with water. He wants to put His Spirit within us. He wants to live our life in accordance with His will, His, his law, His, his statutes. Be obedient to Him. 
while we're here on this earth. Be obedient to His will. Giving our entirety to Him. You know, not, not just living this life like kind of from Sunday to Sunday and kind of playing the Christian card when it's convenient to us. Like He expects us, because He allowed His Son to die for us, He expects us to be all in, right? Because He is all in. And so He expects us to be the same. That, that we will worship Him, we will give ourselves the totality of our being, we will follow after God through Christ. That that's who we will be. And this is what He will do for us. This conversation with Nicodemus, a conversation that started at night, probably because Nicodemus didn't want a lot of his buddies to see him going to talk to Jesus. This conversation would continue. And Jesus would go on to say, He would go on to talk about those who have this, this faith and what God, what God had done for them. What God will do for us. In John chapter 3, beginning in verse 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. God so loved who? The world. That's everyone. That's Jews and Gentiles. That's uh, religious and everyday sinners. That's rich and poor. And that's everyone. Everyone that is a part of planet Earth, God loves. And He loves everyone so much that He would send His Son, His, His only begotten Son, to die ultimately a, a horrific death on the cross for the sin of mankind. This isn't just for somebody like Nicodemus, is it? This promise? This promise isn't just for the, the religious elite like Nicodemus. Promises for all of us that if we will be a people of faith, we don't have to worry about that second death. That if we'll be a people of faith and we'll keep our eyes on Jesus, then we can finally understand that death is just a transition from, from here to life everlasting. That it's nothing to truly be feared but in many ways, something to be longed for. Something to be looked forward to. It sounds really good, doesn't it? And maybe if you're like me, you go, well, I, I want my faith. I want my faith to run that deep. I don't want to have that, that shallow, superficial belief. I want, to have a, I want to have a genuine faith where the roots run deep. And Where does it really begin? I think it probably begins with repentance. I really do. You know, as, as Jesus and Nicodemus are having this conversation and, and Jesus is talking about the, the need for one to be born again of water and of the Spirit, I can't help but wonder if Nicodemus' mind probably didn't race back as they thought, talked a little bit about being baptized. They raced back to maybe John the Baptist. And, and all of the people that at that particular moment in time in history, all the people that had been and would be baptized by John the Baptist, and how his baptism was what? It was a baptism of repentance. 
So you can't have true faith as long as you're, you're hanging on to your life and your wants and your desires. You're not going to have true faith until you finally re- repent of those things and let go of this world and let go of this life and let go of your simple desires and let God be in control. Turning your life completely over to Him and surrender. That's where it begins. Because you see, when you come to Jesus, when you look to Jesus, Jesus wants to save you from your sins. But Jesus also wants to transform you. We're not supposed to stay the same. (laughs) I mean, we probably all need to be shaken sometimes to hear that, right? Because if in our relationship with God, if we are in the same place we were when we first obeyed the Gospel, however many years ago that was, we're in the wrong place. Because in our faith, our faith should be ever-growing. We should be ever-maturing. But if our faith is not growing, if we are not spiritually growing, if we are not spiritually maturing, then are we where Christ wants us to be? Jesus has the power to save. Jesus has the power to transform. But you have to allow His Spirit to transform you. Listen to what Jesus would say to Nicodemus going back to verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. A person of genuine faith is someone who will be transformed. A person of genuine faith is someone who is filled with the Spirit. A person who is of genuine faith is someone that every day, every thought, every action will be dictated. Not by our will, but by the will of God. That sounds pretty good. So where do I get the Holy Spirit? How do I know if the Holy Spirit is is in me? Well, again, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus as you reenact the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ when you're baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. That's the promise of Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 39. There Peter said to him, Repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit For the promise is for you and your children who are all afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. In baptism, in baptism we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit as we grow. Okay, now go back in your mind for just a moment. Go back to that point where you obeyed the Gospel of Christ and you were baptized. You go back to that point and you come to where you are right now. And I want you to look in the mirror with me just a moment. You should be kinder than what you were back here. You should be more loving than you were back here. You should be more forgiving than you were back here. You should be a more humble person at this particular point in your life. If we're really growing and really maturing in the image of Christ, our love for God, our devotion to God, our passion for God, 
All of these things should be continually growing in us. We should be continually being renewed. We should be continually being changed, not by our own action, but by the will of God as we strive to live for Him. Maybe you're not much different. Truth be told, maybe you reverted. Maybe you were a lot better person when you obeyed the Gospel than you even are right now. I'd encourage you to repent of that. Repent of that before it's too late. I would encourage you to think about whether or not when you were baptized into Christ, what was your motivation? Did you simply do it because others said you should? Did you simply do it because you wanted to make someone else happy? Or did you do it because it was a genuine act of faith and obedience? Unless it was a genuine act of faith and obedience, you're probably not where you need to be, are you? This morning, do you believe? Just have a shallow, superficial belief? Or are you living by faith? Do you have a genuine faith in Jesus Christ? Only Jesus can save you. Only Jesus can transform you. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Keep your eyes on Him. We can help you do that. Won't you come as we stand and sing?